Today is Good Friday. And even though what happened all those years ago on this day was not good, Good Friday is about reminding us that the good that Jesus brought about on Easter could have never taken place without what happened today. And this Jesus that we always talk about on Good Friday, and this Jesus that the Jews of the Old Testament believed in, this was the Messiah that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. And the Gospel of Mark, one of the one of the first books in the New Testament, and also the very book where most of my scriptures are going to come out of tonight, the Gospel of Mark does a tremendous job telling us who Jesus is and what he came to do. John the Baptist, right in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, says two statements about Jesus. Number one, he says this, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He also says, I baptize with water, but he, referring to Jesus, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. God's description of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, at Jesus' baptism, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Then you have Jesus' proclamation a little bit later in John chapter 1 of what he came to do. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. And then to his disciples, who were fishermen, he said, come and follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. The Gospel of Mark also does fantastic job um, just showing the many miracles that Jesus did and the ways that he proclaimed to be not only the Christ but the long-awaited Messiah that the Old Testament prophets foretold would come. Now think for a moment about how the disciples would have felt not only last night but this night all those years ago at the time of Jesus' arrest, which within hours led to his death. This man that they, they really believed was the long-awaited Messiah was no longer alive. In their logical minds and ours, a person cannot be the Messiah if that person is dead. Try and wrap your minds around that for just a moment. I mean, we have, think about this, we have 2,000 years of commentary and of explanation, and we know, we know that Jesus rose again. But for a moment tonight, pretend like you don't know that. Pretend like you don't know what happens on Easter. 
Pretend like you don't know how the story ends. Despite all of the things that Jesus had said to his followers and to his disciples in the gospel of Mark, and I'll just, I'll just read a couple for you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near, despite the fact that he said that. Despite the fact that he said, some who are standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Despite him saying, God is not the God of the dead, but the living. Despite all the things that Jesus said to his followers and his disciples, on this night, hope had just died. Let me share with you two passages that show how everything came crumbling down. The first passage is going to show us the context, and then the second passage is going to show us how everything came tumbling down. In Mark chapter 14, verses 27 through 31, it says this, it says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So this is Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where Jesus says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep, and he's the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. It goes on and says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, now don't be, don't be distracted here, even if all fall away, I will not, Peter says. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But, but Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Okay, you've heard that. You've heard this context now. Now, just a few hours later, Let's read Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 50. Just as he was speaking, just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd of armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And then all the disciples stood with him and went to the cross with him. No. Then everyone deserted him and fled. 
just like Zechariah 13 and Jesus predicted. And we could try and argue, oh, they knew that he was going to die and resurrect because Jesus told them about it several times. Now, even if Jesus told them several times, the Gospel of Mark makes it clear for us that they did not realize what Jesus was saying. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32 says that they wouldn't understand or see any of this coming. At the time of Jesus' arrest, and especially at his death, all their hopes of what it was going to be like for them to have this long-awaited Messiah be with them was now gone. Can you think of a time where you had so much hope and then all of a sudden that hope was gone? How would the disciples have felt in this moment, not only knowing that they had not kept their promise to Jesus, but then also hearing hours later that their Messiah was crucified and was dead? I can only imagine that they would have felt lost. They would have felt confused. I mean, devastated, angry, um, miserable. I mean, they, they would have felt great suffering, deep pain and anguish, like probably like somebody just punched them in the gut. And even though we've all read this story before, even though it's familiar to us, it's timely for us to read together and hear afresh what happened to Jesus on that Friday all those years ago. So I'm going to read for us from Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 39. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. That is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted uh, together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their, their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you're going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. 
And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. <laughs> Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insult, insult on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. End of reading. Truly a, a time unlike anything that the disciples or his followers had expected. They had expected Jesus to overthrow the Romans to be king of the Jews, like all the other kings up to that point had been. But what they didn't realize, what we have the privilege to know, is that Jesus had to die some 2,000 years ago so that the kingdom of heaven could be established. Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom as they thought, he wasn't bent on war and conquest. Jesus rather came to set up a heavenly kingdom and to give his life on the cross so that people could not only have their wrongdoing and their sin forgiven, but also so that they could experience eternal life and salvation. His war was against sin and making sure that no one that believed in him, ever had to experience eternal death as suffering. This is something that the disciples didn't understand, and this is why they missed it. But the Bible, the Bible models for us that sometimes in life, we have to endure our greatest bouts of hopelessness before we can ever experience our greatest miracles of hope. And this is what the disciples lived. In just a moment, we're going to be led in a time of communion, which is going to remind us of what Jesus said during the Passover meal, which was just hours before his arrest. And we're going to be reminded once more that what he first said to his disciples all that time ago, extends to all of us as well. You see, hope had not died. It had just begun. 
Before we partake in a special time of communion together, let me pray. Father, we thank you We thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. May we just be able to reflect tonight on what that means, on what you did for us. And may we experience your love in a fresh and real way tonight as we experience communion. In Jesus' name. It's uh, my privilege to share in communion with you this evening. And thank you, Pastor Michael. Those, uh, those words are incredibly relevant, more than you know. And um, in my life, in our lives, I, uh, I look back over my shoulder here and I'm uncomfortable standing here tonight. Uh, I, I want to tell you about this crown of thorns. Uh, you and I read it on the page, and Michael read it tonight. Um, but the reality is we, um, s several years ago, reached out and asked for a, um, uh, an actual crown made of um, very piercing uh, reeds. And uh, it was sent to us, and it's, it's kept in a box uh, carefully, and the instructions given were to remove it just as carefully because it's, uh, it could cut you, it could poke you, it could stab you. And I think of, um, I think of that night um, that, that, that bled over into the morning it was Thursday night, and Friday morning there was this awful development that took place that uh, involved stripping Jesus and putting on purple robes and mocking him as Michael portrayed in the reading of the gospel. And then they began to beat him and spit at him and slap him, and I could go on and on, but you would just cringe. And finally it, it says that they put a crown of thorns on his head. And I, I'm pretty sure there was no instructions to do it carefully. Um, I, I think br brutally might have been the operant word of that, of that moment. So it's, uh, it's uncomfortable, but Michael, as you captured for us, we have the communion plates here. And I, I want to take you for just a quick moment before we invite you to do something. I want to remind you that the Gospels, it may surprise you to know that, um, that fully one-third of the combined contents of the four Gospels, one-third of them is about the last week of Jesus' life, which stops you in your tracks and says, hold on a sec. What have I been focusing on? Uh, only two Gospels mention his birth. The Gospels all give details, give um, glimpses into the resurrection. We would expect that. 
but all four of the Gospels go into deep and disturbing detail of that night, the night that we gather to share in. And, um, and it's the only recorded death in human history where nature itself convulsed. You realize that there was a, an earthquake that shook the land at that very moment that he gave up his life. And at the same time, rocks split open. And as Michael captured for us, by noon, darkness fell across the land. And at 3 o'clock on a Friday, long, long ago, he gave up his spirit and breathed his last. So no matter how familiar you are with that scene, you have to step back and say something really big went down. And as was presented tonight and the songs that we're about to sing as we share in communion, uh, we will see that, that indeed something really big did happen. A, a way was made when there was no way. Hope was introduced when there was no hope. I, um, I looked again at what happened at this very moment around a table. It was known as the last night, and we've come to call it the last supper. Jesus had just revealed that one of the 12 would betray him. Um, they didn't get it. It was a quick-moving sort of unnoticed moment. And then Jesus reached for the bread, and he took the bread, and he, he lifted it up, and he said, this, this bread is my body. This is representing me. And then it's, it says that he blessed it, and he broke it, and he passed it out to those that were in the gathering. A little bit later, same gathering, he reaches for a cup of wine, and he holds it up and says, this cup is a statement of the new way that I am making possible this very night, this very moment. I'm going to begin to implement the new way, and when I, when I issue those words, it is finished. The new way has been made. For you to know God directly, and in that very moment, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God was telling that he's about to give his life, represented in these ways, um, as the perfect and permanent sacrifice so that we might know God personally. So tonight, we thought it would be very significant, and I think you'll agree that it's almost a tradition here at Grace Point, that we like to invite you out of your seat to make your way forward. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to hold up trays of communion. They're double stacked. One is the cup and the bottom is the bread, the little wafer. And you come up to either one of us. Pastor Michael will be on that sort of aisle and I'll be on this side. And just take your time. And as you are prompted, you've had a lot of images in song already and more that will be sung. You've had the scriptures read so beautifully and and these moments 
are meant to draw us closely to this very important reality check. The Apostle Paul said, trying to correct a problem that already had by that time existed, that people were just kind of going through the motions. And he was saying, don't do that. This is supposed to be a time that nearly takes your breath away. Stop and be still. And so would you do that tonight with me and Michael? And would you just be still and say, Lord, I want to examine my life. And I want to behold you in a new way. If you're led to tears, then cry the tears. If you're nearly jogging down the aisle be because you can't wait for the hope that this night presents, then jog. Um, communion comes from a family of words where we get words like community and unity and with and together. I tell you that for this reason. Maybe you're one that doesn't feel comfortable making your way to the front for whatever reason. So I want you to look around you before you get out of your seat to come forward. And if you see somebody that you might wonder if they feel comfortable, say, can I get communion for you and bring it to you? Because we're community. We're with each other. We're together. All right? So however you come, come. We might whisper a word or two to you. And then take the cup back to your seat. And as the Holy Spirit just moves in your heart, would you worship Jesus by taking communion at that very moment? Will you do that? The worship team's just going to softly lead us in some beautiful music that will pull us in. Let's worship.